church family, so good to see you guys as we gather again on the Lord's Day for another morning of worship. So glad to see you. Let me draw your attention to just a couple quick things, maybe just one thing by way of announcement. For all of you that are a part of the Guatemala mission trip this summer, please don't forget that this afternoon at 4 o'clock that uh, we have a meeting here in the sanctuary, just informational meeting for that. So if you are signed up to go, if you're planning to be a part of that, that meeting is at 4 o'clock this afternoon. You know, I think there's something in us, maybe, that the Sunday after Easter, there might be something in us that, that maybe we wouldn't ever say it out loud, but maybe we feel, oh, last week was, was Easter, kind of a big Sunday, today is just kind of one of those normal Sundays, and there might be a temptation in our souls to feel uh, maybe a little less enthused about our gathering. Beloved, I would remind us that it remains the Lord's Day. We continue to celebrate the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue to remember and to celebrate, to sing about, to hear from God's word regarding the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what all that means for us. So I pray that your hearts are prepared to gather to worship, to be a part of this time together. So good to see you. Let me pray and we'll begin our time together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the gathering of your people. Father, we thank you so much that every week, the saints all over the globe, Father, they gather, some in buildings that look like this, some under trees, Father, some underground for fear of uh, the persecuting governments surrounding them. God, we are glad and privileged to be able to join together with the saints on this great Lord's Day. God, as our celebration of the gospel, our remembrance of the gospel, as that continues, God, I pray for us this morning that you would, oh God, quiet our hearts, the noise around us. Maybe, maybe so many things happened the week behind us. May, maybe we're anxious God, about the things ahead, Lord, I pray that on this day, particularly in this moment, God, that you would quiet our hearts, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Father, teach us by your Spirit today. Lord, as we sing truth, God, as we open up your Word to read, to hear, to study, and apply truth, well, God, I pray that you would fix our eyes on Christ, give us Oh God, give us great desires for holiness, for righteousness in our lives. Give us great desires to live for you, to to please you in all respects. God, you are good, you are great, and you are most certainly worthy of our praise this morning. So God, help us to honor you, to worship you in a way that is befitting of such glory and majesty. God, we ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we open with worship. And hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah. This is my life. 
darkest Yet thought I knew the way The sin that promised joy Had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own A rebel to your will And if you had not loved me first I would refuse you still I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost. You looked upon my helplessness and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know. is my life. Alleluia. All I have is Christ. Alleluia. Jesus is my life. Now, Lord, I will be yours alone and live so long. Follow your plans will never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. And let my song forever be my only boast is you. Son of God. 
God and Son of Man, who intended in the garden, never yielded, never sinned, and He who makes the many righteous brings us back to life again. Dying, He reversed the curse and rising crushed the serpent's head. Christ the true and better Isaac, humble son of sacrifice, who would climb the mountain there to offer up his life laid with faith upon the altar father's joy and only son their salvation was provided oh what full and boundless love the story is the glory hallelujah amen in Christ the true and better Moses called to lead a people home standing bold to earthly powers God's great glory to be known with his arms stretched wide to heaven see the waters part in two see the veil is torn forever cleansed with blood we pass now through the story is the glory hallelujah amen Christ the true and better holy shepherd mighty king be the champion and the battle is now thy sing in our place he bled and conquered crowned him lord of majesty he shall be the throne forever we shall heir his people be the story is the glory hallelujah amen in 
Christ the story, He's the glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Church family, would you take God's word with me? Join me in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you are able, would you remain standing with me for the reading? of God's Word. In recent weeks, months, we've been reading through this epistle to the Hebrews. We come to chapter 10, verses 1 to 25 this morning. Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 25. Just a couple of key things here to be thinking about. In the first half of of, of the text before us, we see, we've been building toward this, we see the sufficiency of Christ and His once and for all sacrifice as he mediates this new covenant in his blood that is a sufficient sacrifice once for all time and then as we read the latter half of this text we see the practical implications for us as we seek to live out this glorious gospel as we hear from God's word this Lord's day we ask and pray that God would take this eternal truth and that he would write this Upon our hearts. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins therefore when he comes into the world he says sacrifice and offering you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, in order to establish the second, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds 
I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Church, would you be seated? And as you do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. God, we have sung together this morning of the sufficiency of Christ. Father, we have already sung this morning that He is the true. He is the better. All of Scripture is shouting the name of Christ. All Scripture is finding its fulfillment in Him. All the sacrifices, the thousands upon thousands, the innumerable sacrifices are all pointing to Christ. Every time the blood of the bull, the blood of the goat was shed, it was declaring this blood cannot ultimately save, but there is a better A better sacrifice. A better Lamb of God. And so Father, as we gather this morning, again we ask, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. The better Adam, Isaac, Moses, and David. God, may we find our life in him may we find may we find oh god our affections rooted in him being constantly changed by his life god i pray this morning for the one in the room that doesn't know the lord jesus as savior god would you be so kind and gracious to them would you come to them would you awaken them would you give them desires for jesus that they've never had before God, may they call out upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. God, I pray for your people, the church, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They are following hard after the Lord Jesus. God, that you would sanctify us today. Build us up. Change us. Convict us where necessary, O God. 
mold us to the truth and the patterns of your word. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace upon us. God, as we continue to lift our voices and sing, we focus our hearts and our minds on what you, a sovereign and triune God, have done in saving your people from our sins. God, we thank you for that. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Church family, this next song is uh, its a new one. It's all praise to him by sovereign grace. And this song is, is simply a song of praise and adoration to the Lord. Um, and as, as we go through this song, it walks us through why he is worthy of our praise and our adoration. He is the creator of the stars. He's the creator of earth. He's creator of everything, even us. And yet being creator, he still hears our every prayer. But more importantly, he is savior. He is the one who died for us so that we might be able to have a relationship with him again. He is worthy of our praise. So let's stand. And this tune is really easy to pick up on. So sing along as we sing this new song, All Praise to Him. Be 
Sing hearts our song of praise to Father, Son, and Spirit now. Our souls we lift, our wills we bow to you, the triune God we raise. With loving hearts our song of is worthy of our praise. Though the dark is overwhelming and the brightest lights grow dim Though the word of we've been 
spot, Pastor Matthew would be here, continue praying for him, for his family. Uh, Matthew preached at his grandmother's funeral yesterday, they're on their way home uh, today, so be praying for them as they continue to walk through these days, as they travel home. We are focusing our hearts and our minds this month by way of scripture memory on Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Acts chapter 4 and, and verse 12, certainly a uh, a fitting verse for us to marinate upon over these weeks, last weekend as we celebrated together the, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and now even continually reminding ourselves of these truths this morning. I, I pray that this time as we recite this verse together is a time for you to hear one another across the room reciting this and just reminding one another, exhorting one another, admonishing one another of these truths together that that would spur you and your families on even just throughout the week as you maybe continue to dwell upon this verse together. So it's there on the screen for you if it's not yet quite committed to memory. Let's say this together. I'll mention just a couple of things. We'll pray and then we'll look to God's Word again on this Lord's Day. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4, verse 12. Do you believe that this morning? I think that's the first response that we must consider in light of that. Do you believe that that is true? Do you believe that there is in fact no other name under heaven whereby mankind must be saved? That there is no other Savior that all other claims to salvation, that all other claims to make you right with God, that they are false. That those baseless truths, they say at least, they call them truths, that those baseless truths, that all of those bow the knee to King Jesus. Have you come to that point in your life where you have turned from your sins, where you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, where you have placed your whole hope for eternity upon Him. Notice also maybe the word there, under heaven, given among men. Given among men. God, by His glorious grace, according to the kind intention of His will, has given us the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not earned Him. We have not merited Him by our good deeds. We didn't strike the right combination and unlock somehow God's grace and mercy in Christ by a shocking display of love and grace. Christ has been given to us. Will you receive Him this day? Let's pray together. 
God, thank you for gospel truth this morning. God, thank you for the reminder of this scripture in Acts 4.12. God, that there is salvation in none other. Father, for those in the room that are in Christ, they, they, they love this. They cling to this. They hope in this. Father, because they know, God, they know, were it not for Christ, were it not for your grace to them in Christ, they would not be saved. They could not keep themselves saved. There would be no hope and no future of seeing your face were it not for Christ. So Lord, as we meditate upon that, as we consider, God, what your word calls us to this morning, we continue to rejoice in Jesus, to rest in Christ. God, once again, we ask and we pray for any man, woman, boy, girl in the room that does not know the Lord Jesus as Savior, that Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it would be the constant reverberating gong in their minds and in their hearts this morning. That all that they would be able to hear is that there is salvation in none other but Jesus Christ. God, that you would show them their sin. Show them what their sin has done. Show them, O oh God, the burden that they bear because of their sin. And that it is Jesus Christ and Him alone who can lift that burden. That can rescue them from the bondage to their sin, that can rescue them, according to 1 Thessalonians 1, from the wrath to come. God, as we look to Your Word, as we come back to the Beatitudes and our study through Matthew's Gospel, as we settle our hearts again upon Christ the King, His Kingdom, and what it looks like to be inhabitants of that kingdom. Father, I pray, O oh God. And Lord, we are asking this because You alone can do this. God, that You by Your Spirit would work in our hearts. And God, that You would change our deepest longings and affections. And turn them away from self, away from worldliness, and turn them, O oh God, to Christ. God, give us great longings, passions, hungerings, and thirstings. God, for You, for the things of You, to be what You've called us to be. God, what is before us in the text of Scripture this morning is not some ideal for the aged super-Christian. Father, what is before us in Your Word is the stated condition of every single person who says that they are a follower of Christ. So God, work move not by the power of the preacher 
but by the power of your word, the risen Christ and your spirit among us. God, move and work and make us in this moment now, oh God, make us more like Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, church family, let me invite you to take God's word and join me in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. After a couple of weeks away, we return back to our study through Matthew's gospel most broadly. The Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, and then maybe most particularly this morning, back into the Beatitudes, coming today to the fourth of these Beatitudes. So just as you're turning there, since it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here together, let me just remind us what these Beatitudes are, these blessings that we see here, what those are. The Beatitudes are the condition. It's describing those who would say about themselves that I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a follower. I am an inhabitant of the kingdom. If that be true, if you would say that about yourself, then what's following here in these Beatitudes and really throughout the entire sermon here is that these are the things that will then be true about you in your life. You recall that all of these Beatitudes, they begin with a declaration that true disciples of Christ are what? They are blessed. And we've talked at length about what that means, what that does not mean. To be blessed of God, it is the condition of one who is fully content and satisfied in Christ. Being blessed, you recall, has nothing to do with your circumstances. Again, sometimes I think uh, there are those around us that think maybe we sometimes think as long as things are going well, there's money in the account, everybody's doing okay, pretty healthy, that means I'm somehow living the blessed life. But if there's no money in the account, if things are bad at work, if things are rough at home, then somehow that's not living the blessed life. Again, being blessed, having the standing that you are blessed of God has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do, though, with who Jesus is and what He has done for you. It has everything to do with a fully contented heart, no matter the circumstances in which you find yourself. And so we've looked at these these Beatitudes together. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the beggar poor, right? They only receive the kingdom of heaven who know how deeply impoverished and broken and sinful and how much they cannot fix that on their own. They are the beggar at the gate pleading only the mercy of God and they receive it. In verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, and you recall how they build upon one another. Those who are poor in spirit, they know of the heinousness of their sin, and so they do what in that second beatitude? They mourn that. There's a godly sorrow in that that leads to a repentance. And there's a constant understanding of what sin does. What it does to our world, what it does to our families, what it does to our own lives. And so we don't play with it, we mourn it. And then, just two or three weeks ago, blessed, verse 5, are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who are poor in spirit, 
who rightly mourn over their sin, that then rightly postures them in a place of humility where they do not strut about as though they are the greatest reality in the room, but it consistently bows them low in their hearts before King Jesus. They know that it is only in Him that they have been made right with God. And then we come to verse 6 this morning, the fourth of these Beatitudes. Read it with me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they, for they shall be satisfied. Here in verse 6, with this fourth beatitude, Jesus points us to think about our greatest physical need for just a moment, that of hunger and that of thirst. And he uses that language then in order to point us to a greater, a deeper spiritual reality and to drive home this one central point, this one central truth of this fourth beatitude. So back now in the beatitudes, one point sermons, all right? So here's, here's the point, here's the big idea that we're thinking about, true disciples, of the Lord Jesus Christ, true disciples, they have a longing for a practical righteousness. And that longing is more than fulfilled by God. So those who say, I am in Christ, those who say, I am a Christian, they have a longing in them. A longing, an ongoing, as we'll see, longing for this practical righteousness. We'll think through that in a minute and for that person that longing is more than fulfilled by God so church here's my prayer for us this morning as we look at the text together we see God's word my prayer for us is that this text would produce in us a longing for the things of God a longing for the things of God and a knowledge and an understanding that that longing will be satisfied in Him. That while we live our lives on this earth, even while we enjoy certain good things about this life, as we enjoy some of God's common graces to us, my prayer though is that as we're living and enjoying this life, That the things of this world would hold absolutely no charm for us. That we would not look to them for our satisfaction. That they would not capture our affections. That our hearts and our minds would be drawn to the goodness of God. To the greatness of our Savior And that what God will satisfy in the life to come, oh beloved, is so much better than whatever satisfaction we think we're gaining in this life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, look at how it begins. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. Jesus is thinking about a particular people here, by the way. Blessed are those. This is not a broad, universal blessing. Blessed are those kind of people. Well, who, who do what? Who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, what is Jesus doing? He's using language which points to, just for a moment, our greatest physical needs, right? That of food and water. We instinctively understand that we must have food and water in order to live, in order to survive. We instinctively understand that without it, we die. Food and water, we understand, are not commodities, they are necessities. But as is always the case, Jesus is not merely referring to a physical issue, a physical hungering, a physical thirsting. He is using that language to point us to something deeper on a spiritual level. As important as food and water are, there is still something more important. More important to our very souls. What is that? Jesus says that true disciples have a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for. There's the object of our hungering and thirsting righteousness. Notice what Jesus does not say there for a moment. He doesn't say a hungering and a thirsting for blessedness. We all like the idea of that, that distinction upon us being blessed, but that's not the hungering and thirsting. It's not the object. It's not hunger and a thirst for blessedness. It is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, for you will not be blessed apart from this righteousness. It cannot be said of us, beloved, that we have the distinction of blessedness upon us if we neglect righteousness in us. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This hungering and this thirsting, it's important to note that these are both in the present. This, this is not a past hungering, a past thirsting, both of these are in the presence. This is not a one time, back when I was younger, had a little more energy about me, was really passionate about maybe the things of God that I was hungering and thirsting then. No, blessed are those who currently, presently, in an ongoing manner, have a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness. Now, to be sure, beloved, there will be moments and seasons of, of our life when we are ravenously hungry. Where we, where we understand that we are parched and we pursue the things of God to fill ourselves with Him. But then there will be other seasons where that, that hunger, that thirst, that might wane a bit. We might find ourselves in a harder season of life. We might find ourselves battling with a particular sin and we might not find ourselves always just ravenous, but here's what will be true 
about the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who is truly in Christ, is that there will constantly be, if, if nothing else, just a gnawing in the back of our minds, in our hearts. A being compelled by God's Spirit in us to find satisfaction in Christ alone. We will be those who continually turn from our sin, who repent of our sin and, and move back toward Christ in this righteousness. But it is true for those who are in Christ that they will have a present, ongoing hunger and thirst. A constant craving for the things of God. What, what is this righteousness that Jesus speaks of here in verse 6? throughout the New Testament, throughout really the psalm of, of God's Word, this idea of righteousness really kind of comes to us in a couple of ways. We, we might think, number one, that this hunger and thirst for righteousness is a hunger and a thirst for what we might call what theologians helpfully point us to, this imputed righteousness of Christ that makes me right with God. We might think that this is referring to the righteousness that only Jesus can give me that changes my standing before God as one who is guilty to one who is innocent. And while Scripture certainly speaks with great detail and with great and glorious, beautiful clarity about the necessity for Christ's righteousness to be placed on us as He takes our sin and places it upon Him, that's, that's not the kind of righteousness here to which Jesus refers. And I would just remind us that spiritually dead people those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, they don't hunger or thirst for anything, for they are dead. However, however, here's kind of the point that Jesus is driving toward here with us. For those who have been made alive in Christ, for those who have taken, uh, they have had their sins taken, nailed to the cross of Christ, they have had those sins placed upon Jesus Christ. We talked last week about Him becoming the curse for us. For those who have turned from their sins and they've placed faith in Christ, they will then naturally begin to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. You can't generate in you enough hunger and thirst to make you right with God. But once, by God's grace, you are made right with God, what will begin to naturally and prayerfully increasingly be true about your life is that you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the kind of righteousness that Jesus refers to in this moment is a daily practical. It's, it's, got, it's got hands and, and feet to it. It's not merely just something that we say we have, but we evidence that we have. This is a daily, ongoing desire for God. An ongoing desire for the things of God. For communion with God. Obedience to God. 
It is a longing. It's not just a passing grumble of our spiritual stomachs. It is an ongoing, quite ravenous desire to practically live out the Gospel. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To get to a place where we are more passionate about pleasing God than pleasing self. It's a longing, a craving, almost, I, I, I gotta have it. Longing to be the new creature that God has called you to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you recall, if any man is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have longings for those new things to continually be true about their lives. We'll think a little bit more about how that happens here in just a moment. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about this hungering and thirsting for righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is nothing but the longing to be positively holy. J.C. Ryle said that they long not so much to be rich or learned as to be holy. It's a desire in us. To work out practically in our lives what we already positionally are before God through Christ. And what we mean by that is that if you are in Christ, your life is hidden with Christ. You are clothed in His righteousness. God has taken your garments of sin, placed them on Christ, given you His robes of righteousness. And now, as a believer, a follower of Christ, our desire is to live that out practically what we already are positionally before God. A person, then, who has no longings for the things of God simply does not know God. They may know some things about God. They may have passages of Scripture memorized. They may preach the rafters down. But if they have no longing for the things of God, they do not know God. A person who has no desire to be like Jesus is not following Jesus. A a person who is controlled by their own sinful cravings and appetites is not yet controlled by God's Spirit. True followers of Christ, they call out, they cry out with the sons of Asaph from Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 as the deer pants for the water. So my soul pants for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The author of that has, for some reason, been separated 
from the people of God, the gathering of God's people in Jerusalem. There is a longing, a craving, thinking about the deer, just panting. I gotta have it or I die. The psalmist says, so my soul pants for you, O God. True followers of Christ cry out with David in Psalm 63 and verse 1, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The follower of Christ calls out again with David in Psalm 143 and verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land. It is incumbent upon every single person in the room to ask ourselves this Lord's day, is there a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness in me. And, and in particular, if you would say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of the, Lord's, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm an inhabitant of His eternal kingdom, then again, we must be asking, is there a hungering and thirsting? What does that practically look like in us? What does it practically look like to have this kind of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. How do we, as the people of God, long for the things of God? Just let me broadly say this, and then we'll try to give two or three things just by way of practical application here. Church, develop a hunger and a thirst for righteousness by starving yourself of what the world has to offer. Until we begin to starve ourselves, to cut off the flow of what the world offers, until we do that, we will never ever hunger and thirst for righteousness. So begin the process, the discipline of starving yourself of what the world desires to fill you with. As long as the things of this world are filling you up, you'll never hunger and thirst for righteousness. As long as your tastes are satisfied by worldly things, you will never have a taste for righteousness. As long as your spiritual belly, if you will, is filled with the world's junk food of empty philosophies and carnal pursuits, you will never have room for daily practical righteousness. Puritan Thomas Watson said, said, said this, So by feeding immoderately, without moderation, upon the sweet, luscious delights of the world, we lose our appetite for Christ and grace. The soul cannot be carried to two extremes at once. So a man cannot of the same instance hunger excessively for the world and after righteousness. The earth puts out the fire. The love of earthly things will quench the desire of the spiritual. The sin is not in the having 
but in the loving. Do you see what Watson is saying in that? What Scripture is saying in that? You can't serve two masters. You're not going to. You're not created to do that. You're going to serve one or the other. You can't do both. And when your soul is drawn to the things of the world and to find your deepest longing satisfied in the world, what does that necessarily mean? It necessarily means you're being drawn away from righteousness. And you'll never be filled by that or by whom, which really and eternally matters. So again, how do we starve ourselves of the world's pleasures and cultivate this hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Let me just mention three things here. Number one, beloved, pray for it. Pray for it. This is not going to be something that we just accidentally stumble into. We have to pray for God's Spirit to do His work in us and to change our desires from the things of the world to the things of God. We've got to pray and ask the Helper to help us have longings and cravings for righteousness in us. So are you praying for it? Let's begin there. If you would say, I, I, I think I find my affections too easily or quickly drawn to worldliness, then beloved, let me just encourage you this week. Just pray. Just pray. God, help me. God's not going to turn a deaf ear to that prayer, by the way. If you pray that, God is going to move and to work in your heart to move you away from worldly affections and satisfactions to things of righteousness. Secondly, beloved, crave God's Word. Crave it. Hunger for it. Long for it. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16 Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Is God's holy, precious, true, eternal word, is it a joy and a delight? your soul do you crave it do you spend time there psalm 119 verse 20 my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times psalm 119 verse 40 behold i long for your precepts psalm 119 131 I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Is there a longing in you for the Word of God? If not, go back to step one and pray for it. 
Pray for that. That's going to have to be a work that God does in your heart to pray for that. And then, take and read. Open it up. Beloved, I would implore you, put down your cell phones, your iPads, your computers, and take up the Word of God. Put down your phone. I think I can make a case for this if you ask me. Put down your phone. Take a physical copy of God's Word. Put it in your hands. Put a pen in your other hand and read and study and ask questions and pray for clarity and understanding. Chew on it throughout the day. Meditate upon God's Word. Pray that God would help you to apply it to your life. Listen to it. Listen to it being preached, not just in this moment. Find faithful preachers of the Gospel and listen to them. Fill your heart, your soul, your mind, your affections with the Word of God, beloved. I fear we are far too easily amused and entertained by things that just do not matter. They don't matter. God is not impressed with our social media followings. God is not impressed by our accumulations. God is so desirous for your hearts. Are you, beloved, equally desirous for His? equally desirous to know Him through His Word. To hear from Him through His Word. To commune with Him. Prayer in His Word. Thirdly, just how do we do this? How do we cultivate this hunger and thirsting for righteousness? I I think I would say be careful to apply God's Word to your life. Read it, study it, memorize it, meditate it. But but the work is not done until we begin to apply it. Until we begin to take what God's truth says to us, to work it down into the soil of our hearts so that it begins to then produce the fruit of righteousness within us. And and here's what this will begin to look like, by the way. There'll be a a good cycle that begins to take place in your life. When you obey God's Word, when you start killing the sin within you, you start to starve out all other affections. And when you kill the sin in you, And when you starve out those worldly affections, what you will then begin to crave and hunger and thirst for is righteousness. And the more you crave that, the more you go to God's Word, the more you kill your sin, the more hunger and righteousness it produces in you and you see how the cycle continues to perpetuate itself in your life. Turn to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3, actually, sorry, Ephesians, start there, Ephesians chapter 4, just a couple of texts here, Ephesians 
chapter 4. And there's a lot here that we just simply can't cover, so if you want to this week, kind of think through this Ephesians text, we'll look at Colossians in a moment, there are just riches here for you to help you in developing a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness. So Apostle Paul writing to God's people, the church, talking about in these latter chapters of Ephesians, what God's salvation by grace through faith in Christ should practically look like in our lives. He says this, Ephesians 4 verse 22, in reference to your former manner of life, the old you, pre-Christ you, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on, you see it? There's things we're going to put off, and now there are things we're going to put on. And friend, I I would just remind you, this won't magically happen. We're going to have to work out our salvation in this way. Sanctification and and the producing of these desires in us requires some work and toil on our part. That we kill sin in us. That we lay it aside and then put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Same idea in Colossians as in Ephesians. Here's the gospel, Paul says. Here's how you live that out. Colossians 3, look down to verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which... There is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Here, here's the point. How do we cultivate practical hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Pray for it. Go to God's Word. Crave the Word of God. And then as you read and study and grow in knowledge, apply. Apply it. Do what it says to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. What's the end result? Verse 6, 4. Because they. The ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Or satisfied means to feed or to fatten. It was the word used for the feeding and the fattening of livestock. Fatten them till they could take no more. Giving them all they could eat or drink so that they were completely and totally satisfied. As the sheep of God's pasture, beloved, God leads you besides the still waters. And He lays you down in the green pastures so that you would eat and drink and be fully satisfied in Him. Not not just satisfied for the sake of being satisfied, but satisfied in Him. To such an end that for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. For those who are in Christ, even now, that work of satisfaction has already begun. But there is very much, there in verse 6, very much a future aspect of this. Shall be satisfied. In the Greek, it's a future passive verb. And here's what that means for you. It means that as you hunger and thirst for the things of God now, God will one day in glory more than satisfy you. As you hunger and thirst today, tomorrow, in this life, there is a future promise that everything you give up in this life will be more than repaid when we see His face. All of your deepest longings will be met, are being met, gloriously shall be met for all eternity in Christ. God will one day, saints, He will one day finally and fully give you only longings for Him and He will meet every longing in glory. But let the work begin today the psalms of old are pointing us to this thinking about a current but also future moment psalm 36 and verse 8 says they drink their fill of the abundance of your house and you give them to drink of the river of your delights psalm 65 and verse 4 a present but also future satisfaction. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house. The prophets of old. Also pointing to this future reality, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 13 and 14. Speaking of that day, then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow, and I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. 
Beloved, there is a filling, a satisfaction, a complete filling of your longings that is coming in glory. Friends, hang on. Just hang on. Be faithful. Keep putting one foot in front of the other by grace in Christ. Glory and satisfaction is coming for you, dear saints. Charles Spurgeon said, where God works such an insatiable desire, we may be quite sure that He will satisfy it. Yea, fill it to the brim. Fill it to the brim. You know, church, the inverse of verse 6 is also true. That those who do not hunger and thirst for righteousness will never be satisfied. They'll never be satisfied. There will always be a longing in them that will never be filled. And if you're here in this room and you're thinking somehow you can kind of get around this, you don't have to do all the the Jesus stuff, all the obedience to, to God's Word. I can figure out a way to get there on my own. You won't do it. You can't do it. And frankly, in your heart, you know it. You know it. Because you've already tried it. And you had to try something else. And something else. And you know how this works. There is a longing put in you by your good and sovereign Creator. A longing for Him to know Him, to commune with Him. As Augustine, the church father, once said, O God, O Lord, You have created us for Yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. Are you resting? Are you satisfied? In Christ. If you don't know Christ as Savior, come to Him. He's the bread of life that will fill you. He is the living water that will slake all of your thirsts. Believer, how should you respond this morning? How should you respond, church? What pursuits need to be turned from, repented of, confessed? What new passions of righteousness need to be cultivated in your heart? Pray. Just pray. God will do it. Pray. Pursue Him through His Word. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Come to the waters. Come, take and eat and be satisfied in Christ. Let's pray together. God, there is a lot here for us to continue to meditate upon, to dwell upon. 
God, your word is before us. The seed is in our heart. God, would you grow it? God, there will be, possibly even this very afternoon, worldly passions that pop up into the hearts of these people and will seek to choke out affections for Christ. God, would you help your people? God, for the one in the room who doesn't know Christ, feel their greatest longing in Jesus. Help them to see it and respond to it. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray it all in Christ's great name. Amen. Church, let's-